Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter, so you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe so you don't miss any future Leading Saints content. I'm with uh, Monty. How are you, Monty? And uh, where are you from? And tell us about your experience with Leading Saints. Doing great, Kurt. From Fair Oaks, California. Came upon your podcast uh, a couple of years ago through uh, listening to another podcast. And uh, just really enjoyed the content that Leading Saints has provide and just a different perspective um, in my calling in helping others just, you know, fur- further the work in different ways that I think is positive, positive, positive for others. Cool. And uh, what, uh, why do you support Leading Saints? What, what is it about it? So support Leading Saints because I appreciate the opportunity to hear different perspectives on different marginalized people within the church, uh, especially LGBTQ and maybe those that have had some faith crisis. I think there's a lot of good, uh, good support out there, especially individuals that you've had and interviewed that have lent a lot of help to others to stay within the church, or at least how we can be more Christ-like and loving as the Savior was to those to those individuals and recognize that there's all types of individuals in the church and we'd love for them to, to be with us and different ways we can, we can uh, make that happen. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, your host. This is the second time I've done this introduction because I went way long the first time. So let's see if I can keep this concise. Now, if you're new to Leading Saints, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation and publishing. And uh, this like this podcast, right? We have thousands of articles on our website, leadingsaints.org. We send out a weekly newsletter with unique content there. And uh, we just hope that if you found us, you'll subscribe and, and really dive into this content because it's blessed not only my life, but many other lives of, of leaders and individual Latter-day Saints across the world. Now, in this episode, I interview Thomas Worthlin McConkey. Oh man, I love Thomas. I actually first met him and interviewed him back in November of 2015. So we've known each other for quite a few years. I've loved following his journey. He has a remarkable story, which we don't go into in detail in this episode. I encourage you, we'll link to that episode back in November 2015. Also, the Cultural Hall did a great interview with him as well that goes into the details of his story. Really inspiring. He's the grandson of Elder Worthlin. And I believe the great nephew, if I'm remembering right, of Elder Bruce R. McConkie. And so that's where the Wordland and McConkie come from. And just a phenomenal story and what he's doing in the church, blessing lives through his mindfulness practice and thought connecting it to the gospel. He's actually worked with the Faith Matters organization, another great nonprofit organization. 
and they've put together a course called Transformations of Faith. And that's what we're going to talk about in this interview, which I love so much. I hope you love it as as much as I do. The Transformation of Faith uh, is a contemporary expression of timeless wisdom as understood through the lens of the restored gospel. So that's sort of the, the summary of what this course is. And I'll be honest, I'm afraid maybe some traditional Orthodox Latter-day Saint leaders are listening to this and thinking, yeah, this is too, you know, we're not Buddhists. We don't need this meditation, mindfulness stuff, but hang with me. Okay. Listen to this discussion. I promise we don't take in a weird direction or anything. And I've gone through every minute of this uh, Transformations of Faith course, and it is five stars. I mean, just awesome. I My wife went through it. She loved it. This can add so much to your uh, faith experience in our Latter-day Saint tradition that in, and in the restored gospel that I can't encourage it enough. And in the end of the episode, we're going to give you a discount code if it's something that you want to jump into because we want to get as many people experiencing this. So, all right, I did much better about half the time on this intro. So let's jump into it. So here's my interview with Thomas Worthen McConkie. Here I am in Salt Lake City with Thomas McConkie. How are you, Thomas? Hey, Kurt. I'm doing well. Good to see you here. Well, I'm glad we've had conversations in the past. I'm always looking forward to uh, our conversations. Yeah, me and, too. And you recently have a new course, a masterclass. What are you calling this, Thomas? We've called it different things. It's an online course. It's like an on-demand. You can watch a five-minute video, 10-minute video whenever you have time, but it's 13 hours of online content around the topics we're going to explore today. That's right. And and what what how do you explain it? Like mindfulness, meditation, um how would you introduce it to a an orthodox uh, listening audience? I would say to this odd to our audience, I build on the concept of transfiguration that we see in the scriptures. The the Greek term is metamorphosis. Sometimes like just in modern like, you know, parlance it's transformation like how do we change how do we continue to grow and develop as a human being i've taken my passions of like meditation as well as the field of developmental psychology and um, just different bits of wisdom i've gleaned over the years from my mentors and teachers and really applied them specifically to the restored gospel so that's the, the course is about transformations of faith it's about how we're asked to become even as christ is and that that's a process and we can participate in that process willingly and knowingly. Yeah. And so this is where to start here is what's intriguing to me is, you know, the listening audience of very, you know, leaders in the church or those who are maybe more mature and have been in the Orthodox traditions that we have for years and years. And right now, like, you know, meditation, mindfulness is sort of becoming more of a thing in the secular world, you know, in, in just everyday life where, you know, we have these uh, headspace apps, calm apps, mm-hmm. people are, are, you know, the research is really, you know, obvious as far as like meditation. Mm-hmm. And in our church, we sort of feel like, well, no, we sort of have our model mm-hmm. that works. I don't need to go hum in the corner because I have my scripture study where I sit and read and and contemplate there. So how do you like build that bridge between the two or or just show that there's really not much difference there? Like how do you introduce that orthodox crowd to what you're saying rather than thinking, oh, that Thomas guy's kind of weird, you it's know? It's out yeah. there. Yeah. That sounds it sounds new agey. Eastern. You know? Yeah, Eastern. That's the term. Yeah. That's the that's what we hear. I mean, to me, we can say it in a really simple way. Like right now, you and I are having a conversation. There's talking and there's listening. Mm-hmm. Right now I'm talking, you're listening. In a moment, you'll be talking, I'll be listening that's relationship every relationship involves that action and that receptivity i noticed in my prayer life 
when I was younger, that there was this whole world of like receiving, of listening, like just listening. Like when you're with a good friend and like if you're both so present together that it doesn't even matter who's talking anymore because you're yeah. both talking and listening is the same thing. I got really interested in that mystery and I realized like, you know, I've been talking when I pray, but like it's fallen flat for me. I'm sick of hearing my own voice. I'm sick of hearing my own thoughts. And then when I stop for five seconds to listen to something, I can't really hear anything because my head's so full of like stuff I've been thinking. Yeah. And I think people have that experience. And I, I realized like there's a way to like really go so deep into that. What's been called in Christianity, the prayer of quiet. Hmm. There's a, there's a way to go so deep into the quiet that, what we start to feel in the silence is this profound intimacy with God, this profound presence of the spirit. And it instructs us beyond any language. We yeah. can't even put words to how profound the message is, but it, it converts our hearts and it inspires us to do things that our minds would not have thought of. Yeah. Right. And I feel like so much like we have such a strong Orthodox tradition and you mix that with human nature things become suddenly very routine. Then it's like, okay, I got my scripture study. Okay, I've got that for 15 minutes. I'm going to pray. You know, I go down, thank you for this, bless this. And okay, I'm moving on. All right, got to get to that meeting. And yeah. now we're in this meeting. And so yeah. then we we lose space for that quietness. And That's then right. we forget that there's even value there. That's right. right. Um, there's a bit of a, I mean, you know, I don't want to be alarmist here, but like at a cultural level, uh, it's a bit of a catastrophe. If you look at the way the role of stillness and silence has kind of faded into the background and in the foreground, there's just this frenetic pace of information coming from every direction. Uh, the life of the soul flourishes in stillness and silence. And I think as Latter-day Saints, we have an opportunity to really take a stand, this radical stand of just silence. And, and seeing, yeah, I love Thomas Merton's phrase he writes in Seeds of Contemplation. He essentially says, sit still and let God do some work on you. Wow. So what would you say to, you know, an individual who's been in the our faith tradition for so long and they just sort of like, I get the silence thing, but I don't, I don't see the, the reason for it. Why? Yeah. Why do I need to make space for stillness? I read my scriptures. I feel that inspiration. So what's the, uh, what would be the... The, the argument there is saying, hey, give this a shot or, and what does that even look like to yeah. give, it, give it a chance? Totally. Well, you know, I do this for a living. I just work with students and, and groups. I'm a Sunday school teacher too. I mean, seven days a week, I'm like, you know, offering, teaching some form of this. I would challenge anybody who makes that claim. And, and we, there's a really simple test for this. Like, look at your day-to-day -day life. And when you're at the grocery store, and the clerk is moving like really slowly and clumsily and you just want to get home because you're tired from work or you're tired from kids or you're just tired. You feel that like kind of that quality of like restlessness, impatience, whether, yeah. it, whether it's like driving to your next appointment, taking the kids to the doctors, needing to cook dinner, whatever. Like if we're honest throughout the day, we're feeling a little bit hurried. We're feeling maybe a little bit ragged. We're feeling perhaps disconnected from ourselves, disconnected from the divine. Yeah. I've never met a human being who doesn't really vividly have that experience every day in modern life. Yeah. So the the practice that you know we're talking about today that I get into in a lot of depth and transformations of faith, it's it's making more room for connecting deeply with the best of ourselves and all of the blessings that God is yeah. just eager 
to rain down on us if we'd make room for it, if we yeah. like actually receive it. And and even in the everyday bland moments, like you talked about, just standing in the grocery line, right? <clears throat> Me as the father of a six-year-old boy, like the simplest task of, you know, before, and even there, I have my moments now where bedtime can be such a high stress thing because it's like yeah. just put the pajamas on like put your two feet <laughs> in the holes and let's do this you know yeah. but it's like such this this process and i'm like right. you know it, it it would take me three minutes to do what it takes you to do 30 but now i'm just finding myself i'm just going to be uber present right. with my son right. as he goes through this process yeah you know and, right. and there, there's a meditation aspect so it's not always what i've learned is not always that you're, you have to be in a quiet room and humming in silence, right. but it's just finding that presence in everyday life, right? Totally. I mean, we have our exercises that help us access that silence, that stillness, but it doesn't mean we withdraw from life and like our new profession is, oh, I sit still eight hours a day. It means yeah. like we just, we learn to touch into it. We create a channel. We open a portal into this quality of stillness, of presence, where we are more likely to receive a message that God is eager for us to receive, but then we're out serving, then we're out living our lives, right? Yeah. It's it's like true stillness is movement. Yeah. When we're actually like led by the spirit, uh, there's a profound stillness in our movement. Yeah, and in those experiences with my six-year-old son, there's been those moments where I just like create space and be present with him during that bedtime bedtime process. And oftentimes I hear things like, look how much you love him. Like, I love you that much and more, you know, like there's just yeah. this connection with the divine, but also a connection right. with my son. Like, totally. I, I'm like, wow, now I love him even more because now totally. I'm relating to my, the love that my father in heaven has for me. Yes. You know? And, and as you say that, I feel the like spirit of it and the energy of mm -hmm. it and the quality of it. Like it's a moment, that's a, a moment of contemplation in your life not because you decided you're going to set your timer and be you know mindful for yeah. five minutes yeah that has its place but it's like when you're attuned to that frequency and you realize like you are enacting the same relationship with your son as god is enacting with all of his children yeah yeah and, and these practices that i talk about in transformations of faith i think they just make it more likely i've found in my life and within you know in my students lives that if we do some of these simple practices it makes it more likely that we'll receive those divine messages like the one you just really right. beautifully shared. Yeah, and I found that as you sort of apply these things in everyday life in those simple, what feel like bland moments, when it comes time for the structured scripture study when you're in your office alone reading the scriptures, that contemplation is sort of already has some momentum to go to a deeper level. Absolutely. You know, what I've found when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is among us, one way I translate that is there are no ordinary moments. Mm. Like creation itself, human life itself, this whole station we find ourselves in is extraordinary. And, you know, the more we open ourselves to this channel of divine light, the more we realize the most ordinary moment is utterly extraordinary. Yeah. And my sense is like, that's how God raises up souls. That's how he prepares spirits for eternity by yeah. saying, you know, you think this is amazing. You're just learning to like, withstand this much divine light you know wait till there's more <laughs> yeah yeah and we're sort of uh moving into a conversation about presence here but like those you know seeing ordinary moments as as very divine or extraordinary yeah. like one one practice i've i've started doing that you know as far as to get me in a in a mindset of presence is i don't know if you, you ever look at like a, a photo from like 30 years ago and it's like just a random 
photo, but you're more intrigued about like the background, like, oh yeah, like I remember when we had that tree there or it's in a grocery <laughs> store. Like, cool, look yeah. how different the products look, right? Yeah. And so if remember I imagine- Safeway? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I often like think if I was, got in a time machine 30 years in the future and it was in this moment, like what would I notice? Like mm. what, mm. oh, look how they do couches now. Or like what, yeah, <laughs> look yeah. at the paint, how, yeah. you know, there's no holograms here now or whatever it is, but yeah. it forces me to be like, yeah, if I was from the future, what would I appreciate about this moment right now? And yeah. that's, that's, I don't know, is that, is that a crazy practice? What do you think? It's a lovely practice. I mean, anything that calls us to be more given to the present moment. It, yeah. The present moment is Plotinus, you know, one of the ancient philosophers described the present moment as the fountain ever on. It's this mm. gushing forth of divine creativity. And when we're like just kind of checked out in our like what's next checklist kind of mode in life everything seems kind of like a burden like it's getting in our way but when we like move into that kind of way of seeing like you were describing um, our senses become very clear everything becomes very vivid and intense translucent mm -hmm. we feel and see the divine light animating it yeah and so why is that important why is it important to be present like if someone's saying i don't see the big deal like why do i need to focus on the here and now you know, I've got some good things coming up or yeah. eternal life is coming. Or totally. What, yeah. It depends on who's asking. I mean, who's asking, you know, why should I be more present? Why should I be more mindful? If, if it's a church leader, I, I would have, you know, some. And I guess I'm just coming from a just a traditional Orthodox Latter-day Saint who's, uh, you know, it's just Thursday or it's just Friday. I'm just going to the store. Like, why do I need totally. to be present in this moment? Yeah. Why can't I just look forward to the time I'm going to have with my family tonight? Totally. I love that. I love that question. What comes to my heart when you ask that is both individual and collective. On an individual level, I would say we need that because we all need forgiveness, we all need grace, and we all need Christ's atonement. Hmm. And when we really slow down and make space in ourselves, we allow the Spirit to like really heal our wounded, our fallen humanity. So to be present for me and my world and my language, it's to participate more fully in the atonement in this moment. Yeah. And that's a profound experience. But as soon as we have that experience, we realize everyone around me is just like me, like their disturbances, their pain, their upsets, their grief, their loss. They're just like me. And to the extent that I can be a little bit more whole by participating in the atonement, I can become a channel for them to remind them that they have the same access to the atonement that I do. Yeah. So any true healing we receive from participating in the atonement, we spontaneously realize we have an opportunity and service to remind other people of the good news. Yeah. One thing I, I learned from that is just that, you know, even when you are in the grocery line, like taking the time to be present and realize that Christ is there with you, even in the grocery line. And that there's so much grace, as you say, that comes from that moment, an additional opportunity to connect with the divine, even in the most simplistic location. That's right. I mean, you know, that person working the cash register, maybe the like 10 people before you have felt kind of impatient and frustrated. And that person just getting that energy all day, like, man, can't you hurry up? And then all of a sudden, Kurt walks up and he's like, open. Yeah. And there's some, there's a flavor of stillness in him. Yeah. And that person just receives it as a gift. Like, even if he or she doesn't say it, they're just like, man, thanks for not being in a hurry. And thanks for not telling me I'm not doing a good enough job. Just thank you. Yeah. 
there's grace in that. Yeah. It's a tender mercy, if yeah, you will. And, and in the gospel, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In a gospel context, we sort of we often hear that of like, oh, be Christ-like, like be loving. And yeah. that may mean to, you know, love the grocery line. But I'm one of those people's like, don't talk to me. Like I'm just yeah, here. Like totally. or, or you get the the <laughs> the cashier is like talking about what you're buying. I'm like, listen, lady, I don't I'm not here for the conversation about what I'm buying, but you can't get there, totally. right? And, and so, and part of me is like, oh, I should be more Christ-like. If she wants to talk, I should talk. I roll. Right? Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> right? But but by going this mindfulness route, like you're constantly preparing yourself so that when that does come, you think, oh, she needs, she's actually looking for deeper grace through totally. a human interaction. Totally. And I'm in a place where I can give that. Yeah. Huge yes to that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And let me just say something that's coming up in the moment. This yeah. is just a lovely, I just, this Kurt is, and I are just dancing here. Just, right. It's lovely over here, <laughs> at least for me. I won't speak for him. But, um, you know, the more we connect with ourselves, the more we like just connect with spirit, connect with the fullness of life moment to moment, the more we realize that all we're ever doing for each other, our, our neighbor, whom we're commanded to love as ourselves, all we're doing is offering them our state of being. Hmm. Whatever words we say to them, whatever service we're doing for them or not, it's like if our quality of being isn't there, if I rake my neighbor's leaves because it's a commandment and I know I'm supposed to, but I'm kind of in a hurry and I don't stop and look them in the eye, I'm just like trying to get to the next thing. My quality of being will be the service. But if I come with like a full heart and I'm just overflowing with love and like, thank you for being my neighbor. And it's just a joy to like be in your life a little bit. It's not that, like raking their leaves is not, this is a totally arbitrary example, by the way. <laughs> Although someone did rake my leaves recently right. and it made and, a big and, difference. And I know who that is, and he listens to this podcast often. Thank you. So let's he give will him not, a shout out. He will not be named because, you know. But I know he's on a treadmill right now. <laughs> that's, he's always texting me from the treadmill. Anyways, continue on. This, he'll if someone that. really did rake my leaves, and like the gift of it was his quality of being. Right. I was relieved. I actually was COVID positive at the time and uh -huh. like really sick. Yeah. But it was like this guy's heart. I could feel and it wasn't and it the, touched me deeply because it wasn't like oh I would have never been able to rake the leaves you probably could have gotten around or, to the leaves I could have called another neighbor right, I could yeah. have take I could have paid for someone that the leaves weren't the thing but it's like back to this like simplicity any time we're with our fellow man woman neighbor it's our quality of being mm -hmm. that is the conversion that is the atonement and we're deeply available for it. We become a conduit, a channel, a vessel for it, or we're somewhere else. Yeah. And that's what I sort of transition into the leadership context is these roles as leaders can be so administrative. You know, what's the next meeting? Right. Sacrament meeting starts in 10 minutes. I got to get there. What about that details? Okay, is the sacrament set up? And and then you want that connection. You want to share that the state of being with others and, and uplift them. And so typically you're right. like, you turn into Mr. Plastic and you turn, you totally. smile real big. That's right. But you're really not present. You're right. just sort of trying to throw happiness at them and hope something changes within them. This is a very human response. It's actually an intelligent human response. Here's what I mean. We live in an age of overwhelm. There's too much stuff to do. There's too much coming at us. Every one of us, many times a day, if we pay attention, we realize I'm overwhelmed. There's too much coming in. There's too much to do. So we disconnect from ourselves. We shut a lot of ourselves down because it's just too much information. It's too much sensation. I got to just close down. And the moment we disconnect from ourselves, we turn on like you just did, like the personality. Yeah. I'm going to play a part that I'm supposed to play, but I'm actually disconnected from myself. And when I can't feel myself, I can't feel somebody else. And the power 
of our like potential communion, our, our relationship, it can't come through. Yeah. Right. So let's dive deeper in the context of leadership as far as this in partnership with this concept of presence. Yeah. Being present. Because like, Maybe we, we should define that too. Yeah, let's this go, word let's go presence, it's not a word that we use like a lot, I would say, in you know, our Latter-day Saint culture. Mm -hmm. Do you mind if I say something yeah, about it, it just to like ground it? One of the most beautiful doctrines to me in restoration theology in our church is the doctrine of incarnation. That, mm. you know, we, other branches of Christianity talk about the fall, and we talk about the fall as an ascent. Like, you know, to actually fall from the garden was to ascend in our godlihood, our godliness, to have a physical body. It's actually a greater fullness of joy to take on the body and join it with the spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. So to me, when I talk about presence, it's actually embodying all of us. It's being fully present in my body. It's being fully present in my emotions, fully present in my thoughts, fully present in the intelligence that is my spirit, like all the parts of me that constitute my uniqueness and my fullness. That's all right here. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's a divine doctrine to like really inhabit uh, these bodies as yeah. temples, not just the physical body, but like our emotional being, our mental being, our our energetic being, all of that is part of our divine inheritance. Yeah. And we can exercise it. Right. That's what I mean by presence. Yeah. And so is there, to me in that process, it's, I, I think a lot of people who not, or maybe aren't familiar with these practices or topics is that they, like, so I just, I'm just here. Like, you know, I, I feel it. And it's almost if, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's almost this level of of acceptance of all that, right? It's like, yeah. maybe you are a little overweight and you're dissatisfied, <laughs> but you're just like going to accept that for the moment and yeah. realize that you're a spiritual being that is loved by an eternal creator. And I mean, is, does acceptance play a role in sort of accepting the present state? Is that, yeah. am I taking it too off the rails here? Not at all. I mean, I would say that the virtue, the Christian virtue that comes to mind for me is forgiveness. Yeah. Because if we're honest with ourselves, if we become really present right now in this moment, kind of notice how am I doing right now? Mm -hmm. How am I feeling in my body? How am I feeling in my heart? And so forth. If I'm honest, there's no question there will be like some form of disappointment. Like, oh, this relationship I'm in, like this is a lot harder than I wanted it to be. Oh, my career, it's not my family. There's things that like don't go the way we want them to. And part of being present is like really forgiving conditions yeah. for not being what they hoped they would be. And as we forgive ourselves, and as we forgive the conditions of life, we we get a glimpse. I've gotten glimpses into like, oh, like when when Christ is in Gethsemane and he's saying, thy will be done. Talk about a condition that I wouldn't like. You know, I'm in my 30s. I got my friends. I got my, you know, my posse. But, oh, it's time to like do that thing you came here to do. And, yeah. and Christ says like, oh, I, I wish this pat, this cup could pass, but that will be done. Mm -hmm. So to me, like, yeah, acceptance, like my translation of that in like Christian doctrine is thy will be done. And when we practice, like really practice that prayer of thy will be done a thousand times a day, man, life is full of a lot yeah. more grace than we notice. And, and I love that example because obviously, because it's an example of Christ where he took a moment to recognize that feeling in him it was obviously wasn't sinful it wasn't a weakness feeling but it was a feeling nonetheless and he recognized it it's what made him done. human yeah of course he wanted the cup to pass how many cups do we want to pass every single day yeah 
right. and acknowledging it uh, allowed him to feel it and move through it. That's right. right. And, and do what he was saying here. Right. Do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's powerful. And to give the sort of a, maybe a real life uh, leadership example, I, I know, you know, my time serving as a bishop, sometimes as I was hurrying to get to the church that evening for a list of appointments, I was maybe short with my family in a rush. Maybe my wife and I sort of had a, a bit of a disagreement or argument. She was frustrated. I was leaving and there she was with the kids. And now I'm in the bishop's office. Right. Somebody's coming in to share with me something so personal to their heart and their experience. And I'm still like wrestling somewhere in my mind with this conflict with my wife, you know, and, yes. and then just to feel that and be like, you know, I wish that cup would go away. I wish it would pass for me, but right. it's okay. It's there. I recognize it. And now I'm going to try and connect with this person. Perfect example. And like, is there is there a bishop or a church leader on the planet that hasn't had a thousand experiences like that where they show up to a meeting to fulfill their calling? And it's like, oh, I don't feel as relaxed as I was yeah. would be optimal. I don't feel as present. I don't feel as inspired. I don't feel as loving as would be optimal. But here I am. Like this is what it is. And to actually make some room for that. Like first connect with yourself. Like, oh man, I just feel fill in the blank. And then that next step of now that I'm connected to myself, I can actually feel and make contact with this other person. And maybe I'm inspired to say, look, like, man, I'm I'm just feeling a little like rushed right now. Maybe we could just like take a moment to settle in and fill the spirit together. Or we can ask for something we need yeah. and that facilitates the magic that could happen between yeah. us if and there's room for it. Exactly. And I remember several times it's just like, okay, my 6.30 appointment's over. Uh, okay, you know, her husband's leaving her. Okay, that's traumatic. And oh, this person just walked in three seconds later and he's addicted to porn. And it's like almost to just to take three minutes, shut the door by yourself and just breathe that's into right. the moment and just be like, okay, you that's know, right. uh, I give this to God. I'm just, and that's sort of the, the traditional meditation practice. You're always sort of bringing it back, right? You're totally. bringing it back to the, the center and, totally. and you're doing that in real life, right? Totally. In those list appointments, just bringing it back yeah. and recentering and then trying to engage and create that space. Yeah, no, I, I, what you said feels really inspired and just like so practical as an example. And like, this is like, this is human life. We run into these challenges all the time. I like the metaphor of digestion. It's like when we eat too much too fast or meals too frequently, how does your gut feel? This never we, happens in our tradition. Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> we, all, we all know that it's like, oh, yeah. yeah, when I ate too much, I feel awful for the next few hours. Yeah. What we're not as sensitive to is that at the level of sensory experience, what we hear, what we see, what we feel, what we speak, that's actually its own kind of like nutrition that's like moving through our soul our spirits digestive tract and we're not as sensitive to knowing like when have i overeaten at that subtle level emotionally mentally and like like you said in that example when i am overwhelmed when i've eaten too much when i just like got a whopper because someone came through the door and brought a lot of suffering that's fine but to give myself space for that and like acknowledge like whoa that was a lot let me take that in let me digest and then when it's time for the next meal, I'm ready for it and it's yeah. nourishing. But if we overeat, overeating causes cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And I relating that back to leadership, it's that I remember, especially as a bishop, you're so anxiously engaged, right? You're like so in it. I mean, and it's it's a ride, right? And it's it's spiritual. You see people's lives change and it's remarkable. I remember the few weeks after I was released as a bishop, I like came to this realization like, oh, like I didn't realize how exhausted I was on Sundays. Like it was just, yeah. you know, after five years of doing this, it just became part of the routine. And I didn't 
realize that, right? And so I had sort of overeaten the spiritual experience, <laughs> right? And to to just be able to step back and and let it digest on some level, and that's what this mindfulness creating space and is is sort of what you're you're after, right? Totally. This is a story I often share when we're talking about being present with each other. And right now we're talking about in the context of the gospel and service, mm-hmm. really like truly loving our neighbor. I had a colleague that I worked with for years. And as we were first working together, I noticed that when we were on the phone, he would say something like, hey, I'm just like going out the door right now and getting in the car and, uh, you know, just letting you know. Mm-hmm. And or I'm like, I'm on the highway right now, or like my son might come in in the next 30 minutes just to give you a heads up. And like, I remember having a conscious experience of like, it's I, like I literally thought like, oh, it's it's kind of weird. Like every time anything's happening in his, his environment, he's telling me about it. And then I realized after I got to know him, he was actually practicing presence. Hmm. Just through his actions, he was saying, you are utterly important to me. If I'm even 5% not present, I want to let you know. And my intention is to come back to full presence. Hmm. And I can't always be fully present because it's life. But I want you to know that you matter to me. And so I'm going to be present. Uh, just, Just our undivided present. Anyone who's raised a child knows that like the kid knows you're faking it when you're 50% present. Yeah. And when you're 100% present, there's a there's a nourishment that happens between the two of us. That yeah. we, I don't think our science really understands fully what's happening there. But at the level of the soul, we're feeding each other and we're redeeming each other. Yeah. And I feel like your friend, like acknowledging that it sort of lays the ground for a deeper connection in that conversation, right? Totally. And I can imagine like a Relief Society president rushing to the church to do a list of, you know, ministering interviews and for her to just be vulnerable for a minute and be like, I've had just a crazy day, yeah. but I, it's important for me to be present here to to understand what you're dealing with. <sighs> can, can we just pray for a minute? You know, like, totally. and, and that... Because before we sort of want to present ourselves as as our best selves, the yeah. way we think are like I'm here, like how are you doing? You know? Totally, and that's where that feeling of fakeness comes. Exactly, want, the right? feeling of fakeness. We could have a whole like podcast series on this because we mean well. Like that feeling of fakeness, right. what it actually is, it's me compensating for. I'm so overwhelmed, but I still love you and yeah. I'm doing my best, but like, I don't know how to be more present. So I'm going to kind of fake it. Yeah. A question I love to ask, like when I sit down with a student or when I sit down with a big group of people to facilitate, I'll just ask like, is there anything up for anybody? Is there anything present, like an emotion, an experience, a feeling in the body, anything that would prevent you from being more present? Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of the time, not everybody says something, but almost every time, at least one or two people say like, yeah, I, like, like you, the example you gave a moment ago, like I, you know, felt stressed in my marriage because I had to leave my wife home with the kids. If we can just volunteer that to each other, like, hey, I'm so happy to be here. And I, I to be truthful, I'm feeling a little stressed because there's a situation at home and I don't want that to like take from our time together and wow, you know what? Just saying that I actually feel more relaxed already. Like I can settle in, you know, little shifts like this help us really make space for power to come through our interactions. And I think that's what we want as Latter-day Saints. We want every encounter with every human being to be imbued with that divine quality. And, And leaders in the church have a special calling in that way. I think it's especially important when leaders have those skills. Yeah. And, you know, going back to that concept of, of fakeness, I mean, oftentimes I'll hear the judgment with leaders like, oh, my Relief Society president, she just seems so fake to me, or I don't feel like people are real at church. But 
to step back in a moment of grace and say, wow, maybe they're overcompensating for some type of conflict or friction. Yeah. I wonder how I can engage to find that and, and then get past it and connect with them. Totally. Yeah. Or like maybe I'm not creating a safe enough space for that Relief Society yeah. leader where they feel like they can be more honest, relax and be themselves. Yes. So right. you see how like these little the way when we shift our attention one degree and we ask a new question, it allows for a whole new relationship to arise in a yeah. new moment. Yeah. And what I appreciate and what I'm learning here is when you talk about mindfulness or stillness, it doesn't mean it doesn't always mean quiet, right? It doesn't mean no. that you need to start every interview saying, Hey, why don't we take three minutes and be quiet? And then it's just like awkward for three minutes, like yeah. Are, we, are we done yet? Totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? Yeah. Picture a five-year-old birthday party at the pool. Like yeah. it can be like stillness, right. presence can be that boisterous and it should be when appropriate. And then other times like, you know, there's the stillness in the chapel when we're taking the sacrament. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about the preciousness of like, oh, I'm being mindful. I'm yeah. speaking with my library voice right now. <laughs> it's about being yeah. fully embodied, fully human, and really receiving the divine gift of our lives. Yeah. And I often talk about this concept of, uh, and I keep defaulting to the example of an interview scenario, but it's, it's something that's very routine in the life of the leader. When, because I've had these ministering interviews where I sit down with a member of the elders' quorum, it's just like the, they just jump in, like, "Well, so how are your families?" And I'm like, "Well, Bill, they're good." And I'm like, "Okay," and it's like been 30 seconds. Like, I guess we're done here, right? And yeah, oftentimes, yeah. I've found that if you can figure out a way to connect spiritually, it doesn't even have to be connected to what you're talking about. Just saying, you know, I had a moment with the divine this morning of reading the scripture. Can I just read it to you? Can, can we just ponder this for a minute? Yeah. And then it's. 10 minutes later, then you get into the, like, so yeah, how are the Joneses doing? You know? Yeah. And yeah. Then, again, you're creating space, right? The, yes. The, the mindfulness space, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful example. I, I, I'm a good, uh, a good grasshopper here. <laughs> I'm learning from you. You're, you're on a roll, so, man. I'm and obviously, learning, I'm I've learning gone through for you. The, the transformations of faith. I've been through the whole course. And so a lot of what I'm reflecting upon as we talk is some of these things, these points that you discuss in there, which are so helpful. Well, it's beautiful to hear your learning because I have not had the experience of being a bishop and to see you applying these principles to a new area in life. Like, that's my dream. Like, I yeah. can only be who I am and have the experience that I have. But when leaders like yourself apply these principles, it's powerful in a way that I'm just, you know, learning from you and so excited that it's making cool. its way into this new, you know, part of the church, part of our culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about in your course, you talk about and I, I believe you sort of follow the first principles of the of the gospel, right? Faith, repentance. Uh, what are what are they? Faith, <laughs> faith, uh, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost type type of thing. Like you touch on yeah. some of these things, right? Yeah, I mean that wasn't actually conscious conscious at the time. Uh, I got to give credit to Adam Miller. Adam Miller's a oh, yeah. you know, young, beautiful, and he's part scholar. of this course, which and, is and that awesome. Was, that yeah. was his idea. He went through the course, and he's like, "Hey, Thomas, what do you think about boom, boom, boom? Let's like really." like take the like the uh, major principles of our religion yeah. and apply it to those i'm like man wish i'd thought of that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, that was a great cool. contribution from adam yeah and so one thing i want to talk about is this concept of repentance and yeah. sin because it is such a sticking point in our mortal journey of you know we all sin and we all sort of are dissatisfied with the fact that we sin and we know that okay well i'm not perfect but oh, like every time i do it especially those sins that are made more stigmatized you know the individual who just keeps going back to the pornography or yeah. whatever it is it's like like what is wrong with this you know right. and it becomes so uncomfortable you just want to fix it you don't mm -hmm. want to create space yeah you just want to fix it so 
for leaders, especially bishops who are so involved in this process of of repentance and trying to understand sin and helping people through this, where can we start there on understanding that concept? This is one of my favorite aspects of the course. And, you know, I've been interested in meditation, contemplation, things of this nature for over 20 years now. And as I have realized how deeply it applies to the gospel, it's it's really opened up a new life for me. It's changed the way I think about repentance. It's changed my own relationship to sin and my capacity to be kind to myself and others, you know, mm. amongst their struggles. So it's, it's a topic I love. And maybe one thing I would say to kick it off is that when we act out, when we do something that's either harmful to ourselves or others or both, I mean, that, that might be a good kind of blanket definition of sin. When we do something that's harmful to ourselves or others, um, we're in sinful territory. Yeah. There is, I want to say, virtually always some underlying suffering. There's an experience that I'm having, that you're having, that we're having, where I, I don't want to feel this, and so I'm going to do that. And this is where your beautiful experience as a bishop comes in. You can think of like the, the, the kinds of problems and challenges you saw coming through your door. Yeah. And like different people have different coping mechanisms. Right. But to understand that like we all have our coping mechanisms, some of them more sinful than others. Some of our coping mechanisms are healthy and adaptive and they lead to, you know, a more healthy life and spirit. And others take us down a different path. If we can make space in our relationships to see like this person is suffering and to not rush to fix it behaviorally but to actually just be in company give companionship to the person who's suffering to me i find that's often the first step in the healing process at least like from my discipline and from my point of view to like actually be with somebody like in the in the very experience that they don't want to feel at all costs when somebody, especially a leader, dignifies it and says, like, I love you, mm -hmm. I can just sit with you in this pain, all of a sudden, the next time they want to act out, it's like, no, like, I have that experience of, like, Kurt sat with me in this pain. And actually, in this moment, I realized I can just be with myself. I don't have to abandon myself in this pain. I can just be here. Yeah. It, yeah. That changes everything. Yeah. And so... And again, I, this I, your course isn't meant to be overly tactical or here's the three steps to do that, but it becomes taxing at times. People keep coming to you and they're just like, I keep doing this or this is a problem and it won't go away. Mm -hmm. It's easy to default to like, well, let's look at the internet filter. Let's look at you know that right. behavior or, or right. you know maybe wake up early and exercise or scripture study or let me read you these three scriptures and this will yes like. How do you help somebody just approach being present with that person as a church leader? Like, where do we even begin with that? This is a really good question. I love how you asked that. And I want to like go slow here because it feels really important to me. Um, the example you just gave about the internet filter. Yeah. Like, should somebody with a pornography addiction work with their filter? Probably. But working with the filter, we're already like eight steps removed from like the highest leverage point. Like, if I'm fiddling with my filter, I mean, the chances are like I'm on the back foot and I'm going to lose like battle after battle after battle. I, I, nothing wrong with right. the filter. But to me, like my intention and in, like starting to bring principles of contemplation, mindfulness, presence to our, our relationships in the church, to sin, to repentance, is to go to what I've found to be the highest leverage point in the whole process, which is 
Human life can be overwhelming. Human life can be overwhelmingly painful. When we're overwhelmed by pain, we do something to cope. Often what we do to cope with overwhelming pain leads to sin or is sinful already. So how do I cultivate the capacity to stay present with my pain and realize that I actually have the divine attribute of presence? Presence is a divine attribute. It is God's very light. It is the light with which Christ created the universes. And when we realize that we're made of that light and that we can bring that very light to bear on our deepest suffering, I start to develop in what I call divine confidence. It's like no matter what I'm feeling in any moment, I can be present with it and it's okay. And I can act out of agency choicefulness as opposed to drivenness and compulsion. That is the highest leverage point I know in the hierarchy of sin. And I've seen this in my own life and I've seen it with many people I've worked with that if we can be very present with that part of ourselves that we tell ourselves, no, I can't be present with that. I can't feel it. I got to get away. I got to feel something else. If we can do the opposite and actually be there with it, it heals us. Mm -hmm. it, it redeems us. And we're less given to sin the next time around. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, you know, talking, going back to that, they, they, an individual may come to you and say, I've, I've done something terrible. And we often respond, well, we're going to do something about that. Right. And that's not creating space. That's more reactivity. It's like, oh, you reacted to your pain and then did something harmful. Let's react to that reactivity and do something else. And we mean well, but what we're doing is just reacting. Yeah. It's just like dominoes all the way up, all the way down forever. Yeah. How do we like when you take one domino out of the stack? It's like, they, you know, it disrupts yeah. the fall. It disrupts the yeah. flow. And, and I'm basically they're coming to you saying, I'm coping this way. And then you say, well, no, let's cope this way. And it's, yes. we don't want the coping. No. We want the, the surrender, the that's, redemption. That's right. From like, you know, my testimony, my experience is that from the standpoint of God's divine light, we are utterly worthy and lovable beings. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing to do. Right. Yeah. And because there's nothing to do, well, now we can do something. It's a, it's a paradox. We can do something because we don't have to. We're not driven to do it. We're not doing it out of a sense of lack or fear or I should be better. We're doing it because we're free and we're here to be free. We're, we're human to be free and we have agency. And like when we see somebody act on that agency, like truly a free act, that is God incarnated in this world. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Um, and I'm just thinking like, like that the concept of creating space for that individual, whether it's in a bishop's office or maybe it's a parent-child relationship, like yeah. it's so easy to re respond with your coping mechanism of this good behavior. And maybe if you just get a good hobby, that that bad behavior will go away, yeah. right? Let, yeah. Let's fill it up. But creating space of just like stepping back and just saying, again, coming from the standpoint of there's a wound there. It's not the behavior. It's the wound that's there. Yes. And they almost are begging someone to say, will someone recognize that this really hurts? Will yes. you tell me it hurts? Yes. Right. And so helping them see, wow, that hurts. Beautiful. Space, right. Beautiful. Yeah. I couldn't have said it any better. That's perfect. And I love, I'm just noticing, Kurt, you're using this word space in a way I haven't been in this conversation. And it feels really inspired. Like in a sense, it's that simple, like first step, like make space for whatever it is that we need to make space for. Yeah. I, I love it. It just feels right. Yeah. And because it really is that space where 
the savior then enters. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's not like that. We just need empty space to have empty space, but we need like, why don't we create some space here for the savior to enter? And, yes. And I feel like we're, we're talking to like high level where I think people are picking up on it, but it's like, you know, we're there for the atonement, but we don't know, like there's no manual that says, all right, step one, you do this step two, you do this. And so right. it's almost like, you have to help them create space so then the saver can enter in with whatever step he wants next. Yeah, right? I then, love it. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, as far as I can tell, the atonement will never be manualized. Right. Yeah, there's a there's a mystery in it, but there are ways that we can make, there are ways that we can get out of our own way. Yeah. And, you know, to me, the, the work I do in the community, the work I've done on this course, it's like a thousand different ways to get out of your own way. Yeah. Is another way to look at it. Yeah. So any other thoughts around this concept? Again, I don't want to make it overly tactical. Uh, the, here's the, the five steps that Thomas McConkie says to help somebody create space with somebody. But yeah. anything else you'd add, this like engaging with people who are experiencing trauma or who are kind of trapped in their routine of sin, any other advice you'd give as far as creating that space and, and being present in that space with them? Yeah, well, I don't know if I would say anything new in this conversation, meaning what's coming up for me is something we touched on earlier, but I want to mm -hmm. reiterate in a new moment, maybe in a new way. One of the hardest things about being a leader of any sort, and I imagine for people who are bishops, take presidents and or leaders of any capacity in the church, we're all leaders. Yeah, you know? yeah sure. Yeah, we could let's let's put it that yeah, way. As I, as leaders and Latter-day Saints, working with people is difficult. Why? Because when other people are in pain and having difficulty, like like piano strings vibrating that pain will resonate with our pain hmm. and if i'm not master of my own domain if i haven't already committed to my own experience like i can be present with myself the moment i feel anybody's pain around me it's going to start to resonate with me and i'm going to feel overwhelmed feeling overwhelmed i'm going to try to stop that piano string you know three strings over from 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 vibrating because it's disturbing me yeah so to me, like a lot of this practice is learning how to deeply connect with ourselves, to practice an unconditional kindness towards ourselves. And then as we do that, we see tremendous suffering in the world, you know, you know people we serve in the church and, and not in the church. And their suffering doesn't agitate me. Their suffering doesn't overwhelm me. In fact, like the more they're suffering, the more present I can become. So it, it's taking care of ourselves. It's taking really good care of ourselves and acknowledging that we're affected by other people's pain. And we actually have our own numbing strategies for not feeling other people's pain. And one of our favorite numbing strategies for not feeling other people's pain is to give them a solution. Oh, if you did this. Yeah, this worked for me. It should right. work for you. <laughs> and, and like that can be well-meaning. And sometimes it's very inspired. But at worst, it's like, if like my unconscious processes could talk it's saying like your pain is too painful for me right now i need to do something about your pain to mute it so that i'm not in pain with you right now yeah and that's the deep work we want to do so that we're really truly healing together yeah and so let's talk about that deep work on a more general level as far as we've talked about in the context of like somebody is sinning and there's maybe a lot of stigma with that sin and you know the bishop is involved the confession takes place and yeah. that needs to be handled and, you know the repentance process needs to be encouraged forward mm -hmm. but what about on like a general ward level because a lot of people are numbing or coping in ways that aren't necessarily stigmatized or or even sinful right mm -hmm. maybe they're they bury themselves in their work because then they don't have to uh, feel the pain that's in their marriage at the moment. Or, you know, there's other ways of coping that way. That's right. How could one help a 
general audience sort of create space for that stillness so that they can recognize like, oh, like that's that's not healthy. The relationship I have with my work is not healthy. I'm avoiding other things. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, first I want to say like when we do this work, there's a difference between repetition and redundancy. And the reason I say that is because like if I think in this conversation up till now, maybe we've talked about three things. Mm -hmm. but we've talked about them a hundred different ways. And when we've talked about them a hundred different ways, at a certain point, the mind can say like, oh, I heard that. He said, be present. But really, like, it's not redundant to point to it a thousand more times because the concept is very different than the embodied experience of presence, right? So that's my disqualifier as I, um, or my disclaimer as I like start to repeat myself again. What I want to say about the question you asked, like in the, the ward scenario, if I'm really embodied in other words if i'm really committed to my own experience as it is like it's it's okay i'm not as famous as i wished i was at this age i'm not as wealthy i'm not as respected i'm not as healthy I'm, whatever we all have these, yeah we all, we all have yeah. reasons to not be more committed to like this is what it is but as we really commit to this is my life this is who i am this is my body this is my heart this is my mind these are the conditions the more committed i am to it the more people around us say like man that kurt guy he seems just like he seems pretty relaxed and he seems pretty non-judgmental and actually when i'm around kurt i feel like i don't have to put on a show i can just kind of like let it hang out a little bit mm-hmm. that's what i found like we're not sharing this you know so-called practice with words it's our quality of being yeah that's what yeah. i would say so as we're more sensitive to ourselves we start to notice people in the world like oh i can <laughs> this is an eckhart tolle phrase if anyone knows tolle's work but it's the pain body it's like when i'm really sensitive and present i can feel that person's pain body more than the other person's meaning that like they're carrying pain around with them like a millstone yeah and if i'm sensitive to it i can be more present with it make space for it be kind to it and i do all that without saying a word yeah that's when the best teaching happens when there's not a word spoken about it. So what I learned from that is it's not necessary because I'm sort of, I guess maybe un- unconsciously, I'm sort of looking for the answer of like, well, you should have a fifth Sunday lesson yeah, yeah. <laughs> about totally, these three topics. Totally. And, and I'm then, thwarting you. I'm not playing. Well, no, but, this, but it's almost like it's not about what you go out and say to your ward or what you go out and how you organize the next chili cook off or how you do sacrament meeting. But it's about how you are, like how you yeah. become as an individual and just going through this this practice yourself and sort of creating space in your own way. And, and like you naturally, you begin to receive grace. So then you can then reflect that grace on others and yeah. just be a better person. That's going to do more than totally. than like, oh, well, let's bring Thomas into, <laughs> we're going to have this Sunday. He's local here. Let's get him in here. He can come talk to the ward. And, and The fix. mindfulness experts <laughs> right. here to talk about being more mindful. <laughs> yeah, uh. right, right. And but that's sort of our knee jerk reaction in our tradition is like, you know, and I, I've touched on other uh, contexts where the bishop sees a problem, so let's have a fifth Sunday lesson about yeah. the problem because yeah. we're going to fix the problem. But it's like, no, no, you just you just be totally right. What I'm learning in this conversation with you, which I'm really enjoying, is that like in a sense, the gospel is about freedom. Mm-hmm. It's about happiness, but it's it's also about freedom. And a life in the gospel is a life of freedom. And when we're free, we're free to choose. We're free to act. We're free to be totally present in this moment and respond to it with as much love as is humanly and divinely possible. Yeah. Rinse and repeat. Yeah. If we keep doing that, man, it leads to good places. Yeah. You know. And 
again, just sort of the, a summary and again, we're repeating things in different ways, but, and, and again, not to get too tactical, but one thing I've just found so refreshing, my own mindfulness practice is, you know, I, I've been so conditioned of, you know, I say my prayers before I go to bed, is, but, but it's like the equivalent of brushing my teeth. It's like something I do and it's like, okay, I brush the teeth and now I fall to my knees and I rattle off some things, but, right. to, but instead to take a moment and maybe if I need a, you know, some, something to drown out the noise in another part of the house, but just taking a moment of just like sitting with God and not addressing each other, but just like, I'm just going to take a moment to be here. Like, and again, that, that helps me develop as an individual so that I can then go out and provide or, or give more grace to other people. Right. Totally. That's, I love that. It's another example of like a moment where we can introduce space into our yeah. day. Yeah. And that's yeah. really, I think what we're talking is just like creating that space, that presence. Yeah. I mean, that's what this conversation has been about. Right. Yeah. It's one of many yeah. that Thomas talks about in, <laughs> in his course, Transformations of Faith. What are we missing? Any, any other direction before we, we wrap up? I mean, there's there's so much. I mean, I have notes from going through the course that yeah. so many directions. But as we wrap up, any direction or point that maybe you want to make sure we touch on? Yeah, I'm intending to be present right now and just right. noticing, like, is there anything left unsaid? Is there anything we didn't cover? And one thing is coming up. What came to me as a kind of revelation just in my life, a life of uh, discipleship, was this awareness that I was defended against God. And that even to say that, it sounds kind of funny. We don't yeah. talk about yeah, yeah. we don't talk about God or a relationship with the divine like that. But I realized that actually I'm defending myself. And and a moment ago you talked about like the prayer. I, I love how you said that, that like saying prayer sometimes is as routine as brushing our teeth. In this language, I'd say that's a way of defending yourself. In ways I defend myself, like sometimes I Often, let me back up, often I pretend to know more than I actually know. Hmm. And when I saw this pattern in my life, it really struck me and it'll you know, take me you know, a whole life to improve upon it. But I realized like in moments when I'm pretending to know more than I actually know, I'm actually defending against a deeper truth that scares me. It's like it's too much divine light. It's too much truth. It's like the truth burns when we let so much of the truth in. So to me, like this conversation we're having, yet another way to talk about it is, can we notice the ways in which we cover up our windows with these thick curtains to keep the light out? And are there subtle ways in which we can let a little bit more light? And it, it turns out there are. It would be really arrogant and presumptuous to suppose that like our tradition isn't already full of beautiful ways of pulling the curtains open and letting more light in. But I also think, you know, as a Latter-day Saint, we're encouraged to take part actively in the restoration. And I believe in this day and age, we know more about the human body, the human psyche, the human spirit than has ever been revealed. So we're learning new ways of letting down our defenses against the divine and living a more godly and virtuous life. Yeah. So that I think, you know, the best is yet to come. It's amazing what knowledge we've been given yeah. in order to transform, to transfigure, to, to change at the deepest level. So let me go, let me make sure I understand this defending concept of, um, it's almost like we're defending against God as far as like, we don't want him fully into who we are. Or else I want to be in charge of my life. Okay. I'm running the show, not God, I'm running it. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and whether in a leadership context, I'm going to be a super 
awesome bishop that does goes above and beyond like yeah. there's a sense of that that that's hey that's great like we need a good bishop or whatever yeah so we you know we we sort of maybe overcompensate with some of these righteous behaviors yeah. in an attempt that maybe if i do this i won't have to show god or others who i really am yeah. because that's really uncomfortable because yeah. i'm really broken and wounded totally sometimes we defend against god through obedience ironically it's like if i'm if i'm super obedient if i'm perfectly obedient god's got nothing on me but when we investigate our motivations for being obedient, oh, I'm actually afraid. Yeah. I'm just afraid of not being worthy, of not qualifying for blessings. You know, yeah. It, when we take a closer look at ourselves and our motivations, it can be really sobering, like why we do what we do. Yeah. You know, when in reality, God just wants all of us, He wants 100%. He yeah. knows who we are and He just wants us to hand that over to Him, right? Right, right. And just be as we are. Yeah. Uh, being busy, you mentioned this a moment ago. Being busy, I think, is all of our defense mechanism yeah. to the divine life. If I'm busy, I don't have time to like be more godly. Yeah. I'm just busy. I'll do it later. I'll do it yeah. when I die. And, you know, yeah. We don't so, want the idle mind because that's the devil's workshop, right? It's like, so let's just fill that with busy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, lots of different perspectives and lots of territory to cover. Yeah. But yeah. But I, I feel the spirit of it when I when I talk to you. Kurt, cool. It's really pleasure. Well, this has been really fun and enlightening. And and again, I thank you for this this course. It really has blessed my life. And I'm not I'm I'm not trying to be overly promotional or anything. But it, uh, sincerely, it's been awesome and, and something I'll return to time and again. So if people do want more information about uh, transformations of faith, uh, where to access it, uh, engage with it, where, where would you send them? It's got its own website, transformationsoffaith.org. And you know, a big shout out and thank you to the Faith Matters Foundation. Yeah, they do great work that helped produce the course and kind of conceived of the course and. Uh, you know, gave me the opportunity to create it. So yeah. that was a really rewarding partnership with them. Yeah, perfect. Well, yeah. and I'll definitely talk with, I have some good connections at Faith Matters that uh, see if we can uh, work out a deal for some leaders out there that they want to experience this on, on a deeper level. So I think that would be great. Thanks for, yeah, for the leaders who feel called for it. I, I hope they feel they have ready access, you yeah. know, to this material. Perfect. So final question I have is just as you have, you know, you've, been across the world sort of in this world of, of mindfulness and your quest for this around the subject of mindfulness and stillness and presence and how, how has that helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ, a better disciple of him? I think what comes up for me now when you ask it is, um, you know, if you, if you change scenery once, you start to learn the ways of a new village, a new town, a new culture. If you change scenery twice, you see like, oh, these people do it even differently than those people did it. But I changed scenery like 20 times from the time I was 18 or so to the you know my early 30s before I moved back and settled in Salt Lake City. And I think changing scenery so many times and moving through different cultures, different languages, different human histories, all that, um, I really sought a lot of diversity. It, it keyed me into a pattern that there's a, there's a universal yearning underneath it all. There's the surface expression of the culture. There's what I can see with my eyes and hear with my ears. But then there's like the yearning I feel in my heart. And that yearning I found to be universal. And when I recognized that, it connected me deeply to, you know, the teachings I learned when I, before I was five years old. I learned all I needed to know, like the really good stuff in primary school. Like people are yearning for the heart of Christ. They're, they're yearning for divine love. They're, they're yearning for eternity. And I think after I, you know, like toured the world a couple times over, I realized like everything's different, but everything's the same.
And once I was able to tune into that sameness, I was really able to love the diversity of the world that I saw. That concludes my interview with Thomas Worthen McConkie. Uh, shout out to him and so grateful for his wisdom, his perspective, his journey that he has gone on in his life that it's resulted in him bringing so much knowledge to to our faith community. Again, I can't stress enough to go check out transformationsoffaith.org. You can go to the course. They have like a introduction to the course video you can watch and sort of get a feel of it. And you can see the outline, the things, the type of uh, concepts he he covers. And again, th that includes, I think, five or six different interviews with, between him and uh, Adam Miller. And so just solid. Now, if you use the code leading saints 25, all one word leading saints 25, you'll get 25% off. Again, I can't stress it enough to go check it out and, uh, and take it for a roll, right? Like, look at these concepts, consider them, ponder over them. And uh, I, I promise you, your faith will be expanded and uh, benefit from the perspective and knowledge of Thomas Worthen McConkie. And I remind you once again to text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to subscribe to the Leading Saints weekly newsletter. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.